Welcome to the Cobra Cast with the present VP. For this episode, we would like to thank these valued partners. Is your scratched window ruining your view? Starting from scratch to your experts at removing scratches from windows and any glass surface. Whether it's general scratches around the home or a knife graffiti tag shop front, they can remove it. They're also helping the environment by saving the window from being dumped into landfill while bringing the glass back to its former glory without the scratches. Don't replace your scratched window. Repair it with Starting From Scratched, your glass and scratch removal specialist for home, shop fronts and cars. Call today for a quote, 87595629 or find out more at startingfromscratch.com.au. Once airborne, we'll let you know when you may use approved electronic devices, but note that some items may not be used. Alright, welcome back for another episode of the Cobra Cast with the President VP. I'm the host, Ricky Rifty the Prez Logan. I'm a co-host, Ricky at Dog VP at Tridge. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome, Ed Dog. I like you again, mate. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Let's get into it, mate. This yeah. is this is our first, you know, big guns. Here. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I was gonna say we yeah, did have Rick Renshaw on. Yeah, but, but I I get what you mean, as in organisation wise. Yeah, yeah. I'm, we, I'm today we are chatting to the president and uh, commissioner. Of AFL Europe, so the entire all the clubs that we speak to in Europe, these blokes take care of. Yeah, and they do that on a voluntary basis, so you're not getting. I paid. was absolutely baffled by that. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't mention it in the chat, but geez, I, I was very confused. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're not get, they're not bloody getting paid big bucks or anything to do. It. So we've got Oliver Howard, who's the chairman chairman of uh, AFL Europe, and then Dan Jackson, former. Richmond player, um, and he's a commissioner. He's commissioner of AFL Europe, and he's AFL currently and he's also on on the coach. I think yeah, I don't quite remember his title, but he's involved with Adelaide at the moment. I'm pretty sure he well, did a bit of running for him. Yeah, I think he does a bit I'm of running. Pretty and stuff, sure. So yeah, he does a and, bit um, of with Adelaide. <laughs> what we learned out, mate, probably the smartest but ever played footy. Yeah, but he too smart. But 97, I think his inner score was. Yeah. So, I'm yeah, changing this, history, mate. It's 99. Yeah, it was off the charts. Huge. But, yeah. mate, it was a great chat. And especially with all, all the work they do to help out, you know, with these uh, smaller teams over in Europe and to help grow the game and the passion they have for it. And It was, yeah. yeah. The, f- the fact that this is, this like, we do our role voluntary and we look after one club. We look after the Sandown Cobras, the Cobra Cast, obviously, now. But it's fairly, not, not an easy job, but it's one club. Can you imagine doing their job for free? Like you're looking after was 150 odd clubs, how many leagues? Like yeah, yes, they yeah. do have their like the they rely on the country leagues, yeah, like yeah, presidents yeah. look after their own thing. But still, that's a and here's Gil McLaughlin on bloody probably a million bucks. I won't I won't lie, he's probably earning his wage this year. Yeah, like well, you put it in perspective, the chairmans of. Or presidents of you know Southern and Northern and MPNFL, all those they're all paid positions. So, um, and Just you know, they're, you they're suburban football, and this is a league that's for all of Europe, and they do that for the love of the game to help grow the game. So, it's it's admirable, that's for sure. 
it just shows you the love of the footy they have over there. And we've got to thank uh, Ryan Davey from AFL Europe for hooking this one up for us. And um, we're actually still trying to work out to get him on the chat with us because he seems like he's done a fair bit of work across there as well. Um, but yeah, you definitely tell Ollie, well, I was say, you tell Ollie was back in Melbourne, but he could have been in London with the weather, I guess. Yes. They recall this was absolute shit house. Yeah, well, uh, Dan was just happy to be back in Adelaide after spending a few weeks over in the hub. But, hey, let's get into it, mate. It's another great chat with uh, Oliver Howard and Dan Jackson for AFL Europe. Enjoy this one, and we'll catch on the next one. All right, so today we are joined by the chairman of AFL Europe, uh, Ollie Howard, and we have the AFL Europe commissioner, Dan Jackson, joining us. Uh, Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks, gents. No, it's our pleasure. Uh, thanks for joining us. We've spoken to a lot of clubs over in AFL Europe, so it'd be good to, to speak to you guys about uh, the, the league itself. And we'll just start off with uh, Ollie first and then Dan. And I'd, just, I'd like to know how, how you got involved in AFL Europe in the first place. Yeah, my, uh, my journey goes back probably about six years now, guys. Um, so I moved across to London. Um, I actually took a Polish passport through family, um, family connections to Poland and moved across to Europe and en route over, played a game of footy in a town called Villa Bretonne in France. So I luckily uh, left Australia just before Anzac Day and en route to London played in this game, which uh, we host each year on the, uh, the battlefields of the, um, near the Somme. Uh, in northern France between Aussie players and the French national men's and women's teams. And so I was really lucky to see it firsthand, see AFL Europe firsthand there, meet the then chair, Chris Dow. And we stayed really close uh, over my sort of early days in um, in London. And after about a year, I got more closely involved uh, after being invited onto the commission. Yeah, very nice. And what about you, Dan? What brought you to AFL Europe? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. So when I was playing at um, Richmond, I guess even more background information, I went to a bilingual or French bilingual school in Melbourne when I was growing up. So I was able to speak French from a young age. I uh, was playing for Richmond and found out about the International Cup that they have every three years. And so I ended up somehow getting connected with the French team for a couple of those World Cup cycles and um, was an assistant coach, which was a great experience and got a first-hand look at how passionate... Uh, these international players were about Aussie rules, which I thought was really cool. And then when I retired from the Tigers in 2014, I moved over to Canada, North America, and there's a really strong league in Toronto. So I, I used it as a great way to meet people. So I got to go and make a bunch of friends with Canadians and some expat Aussies through the Toronto league, and then use that as a base to go down into the States. So every time I was traveling to a different city, I'd look up one of the, the teams and I'd go and take them for a training session, have a kick, and then have some beers. So I was down with the, uh, the Portland Steelheads, the Fort Lauderdale Fighting Squid, the Boston Demons. It was just a great way to get to know people. And then uh, moved over to London uh, two years after that. And um, similarly, there's a, there's a great league there and thought, oh, well, how can I help? Met Ollie and uh, a few of the other the chairman and um, a few of the commissioners and just basically put my hand up and said, what can I do? Um, and then got on board and very similarly sort of used that as an opportunity to travel around the UK and Europe to, to share some of my wares as an ex-AFL player and teach people how to hand pass and kick, which are two skills I wasn't very good at in the first place. 
It sounds like a, a, a not good story to get involved in it. And Rifty knows what question I'm going to ask. So we actually spoke to the Fighting Squids on Saturday morning. Uh, they do sound like a bunch of loose units down there. What, what would they like to be a part of? <laughs> I'm not sure what your audience is uh, <laughs> or the age demographic, but they were a little bit older and less um, flight of foot than um, some of the other teams, but they had a lot of will and determination but probably applied that more to their after-hours celebrations than to their training and playing. They Loose units is a great way to put it. They all work on the yachts down there, and they have a great time. In fact, if I was going to pick a place to go and play, it'd probably be there. Yeah. Man, we are, yeah, after the, ch- the chat with them, we, uh, we were in stitches most of the time laughing at all this stuff. He, he, he gets on the chat with this bloody squid hat on that was all multicoloured, and, uh, yeah, some of the stories I was sharing were quite comical and um it's it's great that you've been able to travel around and use football as a way to meet new people and it's something we've through doing this podcast we're learning how much football is getting played overseas and um the the fact that you can travel all around the world and and look up a place to, to have a go of a kick of footy is fantastic and um Pet Dog was researching a bit. He checked out your Wikipedia earlier and he noticed you had a pretty bloody high ATAR score. They even mentioned that in your Wikipedia, but it, <laughs> they failed to mention you're bilingual and you, you could speak French from a young age on the, on the Wikipedia there. I'll have to have a word. Get it updated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I reckon you've hit, on, you've hit the nail on the head there, though. Um, and for anyone listening that's travelling, it is the best way to see a city, get to know people, um, you know, immediately have a group of mates and, and probably the biggest beauty in, uh, in Europe we're seeing is it's men and women equally. So, you know, the, the women's game is just as strong in Europe as the men's game. And that's something that we're really proud of. Um, and the clubs are, you know, largely local, but there are Aussies involved in most of them. Um, and what it means is it's just a great way to meet local people too. If you come into a city and, um, yeah, I mean, as Jacko sort of alluded to, uh, you know, it's as much the fun and the camaraderie off the field as it is uh, the fun on the field. Yeah, well, one of the common stories we're hearing about guys that find football overseas is they may be Aussies, but they a lot of them didn't play football in Australia. And it's not till they were overseas and they're sort of, you know, don't have many friends that they've then found an Aussie football club that's going around and they're like, well, this is a good way to meet people. So I'm going to, I'm now going to play Aussie rules at the age of 30 or whatever. And, and that's how they then gain a group of friends. So it's fantastic that football is able to do that for people all around the world. That was probably the thing that I've learned from Europe to North America to any other place that I've, that I've visited is the one thing that Australian sport seems to do better than most is this um, idea of club. So if you go and play sport in North America, you join a team, but often you bring your own team and there's a tournament set up or you play every week and there's a referee, but there's no club rooms. You don't have a team manager. That's just you guys. You rock up, you bring your stuff, you play and you leave. So that's fine. But what I didn't realize that we probably take for granted is Australia is this idea of a club. It's a real community where you have people who volunteer their time, people who donate money to create an environment where you don't not only just go and kick footies around, but you do make friends and you build networks and you have fun together and you help each other out. Um, and that was always the thing that I got feedback from, from international athletes was just how much they loved being a part of this Aussie rules, um, community because they hadn't experienced it before yet as Aussies, you join the local cricket club or it's all we know, 
And that was one thing that I, I thought was just, we've kind of exported without even um, realizing it. I don't know if Ollie, you found a similar experience. Yeah, hugely, hugely. And, and you know, I've seen, um, you know, I think of two of the commissioners that I worked with when I first uh, joined AFL Europe and one of them, uh, Kieran O'Hara, a fantastic Irishman who was best man at Collier, you know, Croatian's wedding a couple of years ago now. So two guys, one from, run from uh, you know, the coast of Ireland and the other from Croatia who met over a game of footy and suddenly became best mates and then, are, you know, best men at each other's weddings and closest friends in the world. Like, what better story than, than that? You know, and then there's all, there's all the Aussies that have come across and that stay and that continue to give their time. And, you know, you mentioned volunteers there, Jacko. Um, you know, we run AFL Europe on the back of volunteers, like any sort of grassroots sporting organisation. Um, you know, the support that we get from the community that we have throughout Europe, we've got about 9,000 players, but, you know, a couple of hundred umpires, a couple of hundred coaches, people who literally give their whole life, their whole time to, to playing footy and, and getting games up and running. Fantastic, fantastic story for you on that, actually. We had the, um, we had the Euro Cup in Sweden, uh, what was it, two years ago now, Jacko, in a, in a small town called Nortalia um, in sort of northern Sweden. And um, these guys had a, a, a huge sort of facility that uh, was being organised for the games. And they got there and they thought, you know, we've got everything sorted here for some footy. And then they go, shit, where are the posts? We don't have any goalposts. And luckily, uh, the captain of the Swedish team is also a lumberjack. So he headed out to the forest and cut down, I think it was about 64 trees. Um, chose, and this is probably my favourite part, he laid them all out and picked his favourite 32 like you've got there, there is children or something, his favourite 32 umps, and then cut them down and, uh, and use them as posts for the tournament. So we had, you know, trees out of the ground in northern Sweden with 500 players from across Europe uh, speaking every language you can think of. It's just fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's a cracker. And it's, we're, we've learned so much just from speaking to all these clubs and it's something that we've, like uh, Dan said, we do take it for granted a lot here in Australia that... We drive 20 minutes to go play our footy and, you know, the furthest we might travel is maybe at most half an hour to play a game and all these people over there are travelling hours, catching planes, doing all this stuff to just go play a game of footy and none of them have ever seen a dollar from it. They spend way more money than they, they ever, uh, you know, would have thought they would have at the start when they got involved into it, but they still have such a passion for it and it's uh, it's fantastic that... um. It's getting embraced all around the world like that. Uh, but when did you actually become the chairman of AFL Europe? So for me, that was uh, 2016. We have, a, um, we have an annual sort of general meeting, general assembly uh, meeting where we bring all of the club uh, country presidents together. Um, and I, uh, previous chairman, uh, Chris Dow, who's a fantastic guy, um, and being a great supporter of uh, AFL Europe, but mine personally too. Um, he stepped down then. He moved, moved his family back to Australia from Europe and, and I took over then. So it's been about three and a half, nearly four years now. So what does the role of chairman entail? <laughs> it's an interesting question. Um, it's a bit of everything. It's, uh, we, we, we have a board. Let me go through a little bit of the structure of AFL Europe for you. Um, and it, comes to what the role entails but we're the governing body uh, of Aussie rules football across 
22 European countries. Um, so what that means is we look after really the growth of the game um, across those countries. And we have three main ambitions there. One is to get more people playing footy. One is to get more people watching footy. And then the other is to find elite talent to bring back to the AFL. Um, a little bit of a chicken and egg one there of, you know, do you put all your time and energy into getting more kids playing so you then get that elite talent? Or do you go for the elite talent that then attracts, you know, a young French kid to play footy? Um, we have... Each country is set up as an organisation. So you'll have AFL England, AFL France, AFL Russia, um, each with a member that sits in this general assembly. And our sole purpose as AFL Europe is really to support those countries to play footy. Um, we have a board of seven. So three commissioners um, that are appointed, three that are elected from the community. At the moment, we've got three great guys from uh, Ireland, Croatia and Sweden on the board um, and then we've got a fantastic team on the ground so led by a guy called Ryan Davey who I cannot speak highly enough of and if you haven't had a chance to chat with Ryan yet I highly recommend uh, you guys get him on and have a chat to him um, star player back in uh, back in his days in Queensland and then uh, was at the Suns for a while and now uh, we've been very lucky to have him in Europe um, our roles completely volunteer so we're completely unpaid um, it can entail absolutely anything from you know, goal umpiring at a Euro Cup to the strategic direction of AFL Europe. And largely you know, in that chair role, it's that sort of strategic focus um, that, that I really you know, spend my time on and then also the connection in at AFL House. So we're very, very well supported by uh, the Game Development International uh, team at AFL and we keep that sort of connection really, really close. Yeah, nice. Um... On Ryan Day, we've had a few clubs that have actually said the same thing about how much work they do, helping them out, and said the same thing. You just said, you know, we've got to get him on the show. So <clears throat> I think I might reach out to him and then emails that he sent to me and get him on the show sometime soon. Um, so when did you become a commissioner, Dan? Uh, yeah, mine was when I moved over to London. So I think it was late 2017. Um, so initially, obviously, back then I wasn't working for the Adelaide Crows. I was doing my own work, which gave me the freedom to to sort of move around Europe and whatnot. And then having taken the position at the Crows earlier this year, it makes it more difficult to have the hands-on, um, obviously being the other side of the world, in particular in 2020. Um, but having and being back in the AFL industry, we're hoping we'll add a little bit of opportunity and get a bit of leverage on how um, you know we can continue, whether it's through funding, donations, support, awareness, whatever it might be. And the Adelaide Crows actually have been quite a strong supporter of of AFL Europe for a while. So it's, it's sort of a handy club to, to be at. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping I can get back in most off seasons and, um, and attend the AFL grand final lunch until the, AFL, uh, the Adelaide Crows are making the grand final, which of course is priority number one, but uh, that is a fantastic luncheon every year. So if I'm not going to be watching a grand final or sitting on the bench in, in, as the man in purple running messages, I'd happily be over there having a beer with the crew because it's, uh, it's a great event. I hate, I hate to say it, but it looks like you'll be coming to the lunch this year. You're not looking too good for the grand final at this stage. Still, still plenty of games left. Thanks, Ollie. Yep. Fun. <laughs> Um, so what does your role as a commissioner actually entail as well? Yes, yeah, so as I said sort of earlier on, my skill set has probably been most um, utilised with the hands-on stuff. So I've been a part of helping um, Ryan with the coaches certification and training, um, actually going and taking training sessions. I mean, one thing you'll find 
and you guys have probably found this chatting to the different teams is there's a whole lot of passion, there's a whole lot of excitement, there's a whole lot of energy, but often they lack uh, experience because the Aussies that are over there, as you say, may not have picked the game up until later in life or they've been there for a long time. They may have been relatively reasonable footballers when they were younger, but they haven't lived in Australia for 15 years. So they're not um, as up to date with the current tactics and training methodologies and even just new drills. Um, so I spent a lot of time running training sessions to help up, upskill and educate the coaches and then they could filter that down to the to the masses um and then i get my i guess my other uh role was trying to leverage again this the afl networks back at home having played for 11 years you, you know, build a little bit of a rolodex and try to support ollie in some of those fundraising initiatives and, and, and awareness and whatnot can i, can I um, add to that jacko because i think it's essential what you're doing in terms of succession so that training of, um, of coaches, of umpires, of you know, administrators in, in these countries is just essential. Because what we see often is, you know, and this is pretty generalised, but Aussie goes over to country X, um, probably meets someone and falls in love is usually part of the story and sets their life up there and then says, all right, I want to start kicking a footy and goes down to you know, the local uni or local pub and gets a few mates and... Uh, and brings them together and that's how the team starts it usually starts really strongly and there's a great groundswell of support and there's energy and, and that's fantastic fast forward five or ten years and you know that person who's been the core you know organizer the guy who's you know been doing everything around the club or the, or the girl who's been doing everything around the club you know has kids has job stuff that, that starts taking over life and and we often see a bit of a drop off there and so it's, it's just hugely important that uh, these countries are supported through that period. It's not, you know, we can never just go, right, job done. You know, footy's doing well in, uh, in Sweden now, so hands off, because we know that just around the corner, there's going to be that next wave that we've got to really push through and, and bring up from the bottom up to continue the, the growth of footy across, uh, across the country, or across the continent, I should say. Yeah. <clears throat> so you mentioned about Dan Howe, you know, you might be people that have just Australians being the coach because they're Australian. We spoke to um, the Zurich Giants last night and their coach become the coach. For exactly that reason was he was Australian. He obviously knew the game a bit better than anybody else. They said, well, you can be coach. And he was in a position where he's like, well, I know a bit more than most people, so I'm, I'm going to have to. So I definitely understand that. Um, so when was AFL Europe founded? Shall we take this, Jacko? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... 2010, uh, 14, 14 countries got together in Frankfurt in Germany um, and agreed to structure and set up AFL Europe and signed on to articles of association then. Um, and since then, we've been adding on countries um, as they've sort of become more and more involved. And you, know, you mentioned Zurich, but Switzerland's one of our more recent uh, countries to get a team together and start playing regular footy, which is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, now we've got 22 member countries. Uh, right across the European continent, including um, in Israel, a, a peace team. Yeah, it's um, it's good that it's it's starting to spread, and, and it wasn't until us starting to do this that we that quickly learned how many actual teams there are going through Europe, and um, we find it a bit of a shame that it's it's not actually widely known over here. You know, we know about the international cup, and and they're the sort of representative teams but then to actually find out that there's you know four teams in switzerland that play each other in a little tournament here and then there's teams in poland that are now going to try and do the same sort of thing and it's fantastic and um hopefully that through 
the support of AFL Europe, those teams can just continue to grow and they don't end up relying on one Aussie who's fallen in love with a Polish chick to just keep the team going forever. Uh, but on that, how many actual teams are there uh, under the AFL Europe's banner? Yeah, we've got uh, 149 active clubs now or active teams, um, about 9,000 registered players across the continent. Um, and then I think it was meant to be pre-COVID. I've got to check these numbers, but 35 on AFL and AFLW lists. So, you know, I, and, and I'll put my hand up on this. They're all, they're all Irish. We won't rest until we've got, you know, French, German, Croatian, uh, Russians play on those lists. And, and, you know, that's, that's a really strong goal of ours to give the opportunities for, you know, you should see there's some absolute stars coming through at those younger ages. Um, it's a matter of nurturing and getting them across. And, and particularly, we're seeing huge opportunity for AFLW. So, the, you know, to, to put it bluntly, the bridge for AFL um, is quite large for a guy in these countries. For, for AFLW, as they expand the league, um, there's actually more opportunities for, for European women um, to, play, to play at an elite level. And we're really trying to nurture that. So with um, women's footy booming, like especially in Europe, like we spoke to Berlin, the Berlin we spoke to, the real passionate ones, Rifty? Yeah, it was at the Berlin a couple of weeks ago, and they were really passionate about women's footy. Um, like how good is that to see, being involved in Europe and seeing just how passionate these women are for footy? It's everything, guys. Like you, you, you take away the stigma or the expectation that, you know, we have here and we grew up with like footy's a men's sport, netball's a women's sport, right? We all grew up with that sort of, you know, thought process. And you take that away and you realise that women are just as passionate about footy. Um, the game will get there. You know, it's, it's still in, in early stages, particularly here. But, um, you know, like I, I'll tell you, in Croatia, they were starting out footy. And one of the guys there went to the local university and put up a poster. He wanted to start a men's team, right? And he was an Aussie guy, never even thought that... that you know, it would be applicable, put a poster up saying Aussie rules football training, you know, on the main oval 5 PM Tuesday, right. Thinking you'd get a, a group of guys together to start a team. And he turns up and there's half women, half men there. And Croatia now has a women's team on the back of that. And they're becoming much, much stronger. And it's just like, you know, their passion is equal to or, or, or exceeding the men's team. So I'm really strong on this. I know Dan is too. And we are as a, as a collective uh, commission that the, the growth of the women's game is equally important to us as the men's game. Yeah, I think uh, it's with the passion that's being shared across Europe and, and, and the States as well between the women's game. And it's, it's something we, we didn't quite understand. Like growing, you know, we, we were in Melbourne, we're in Victoria, we're, we're in, there's still probably a lot of a negativity towards the AFLW amongst Victorians especially and, and I, I've never understood it um, but to see that there's girls playing footy all around the world that have grown up playing it and playing from early age and, and you know there's girls from Canada that have made it across to AFLW and like I said there's a few Irish girls that have made it across it's, it's unbelievable and um, one of the girls uh, Ed Dog mentioned that we spoke to from Berlin uh, was an Aussie she grew up her whole life sort of watching her brothers get to play footy um, and, and never getting to play it herself. And sort of it wasn't until she moved to Berlin and, and met a, a group of girls playing footy that she then got involved. And she's now at, you know, 
sort of the older years of her life, now actually getting to play footy. And, and she was so passionate in the way she spoke about the women's football. It was, it was uh, great to see. And it's fantastic what they're doing over there and what the AFL Europe's doing for the women's game. There's also a massive opportunity that we've chatted about before, Ali, and that's part of the reason that the AFL invests money in these international regions is because we have a population of 24 million and there's billions of people around the world. It's just like their China um, partnership with through Port Adelaide. The reality is, as Ali said before, it's a lot more difficult to get a guy drafted than it is um, a woman at the moment because of the, the, the growth that's still yet to come in the women's league. If we have, you know, the Canadian girls, the Irish girls, if we get an American girl and an English girl and a French girl, that will you will start to see more eyes on AFLW because you'll just have close associates who go, hey, my cousin, my friend I went to school with, my colleague has just gone across to play this crazy sport. You've got to watch it. And through that, you'll get transfer across to the men's game. So this isn't... Sometimes I think people think, oh, yeah, AFLW, that's just charitable. Uh, it's good. Because we're only doing it because we need to balance out, you know. Um, in today's age. No, that's not the case at all. The AFL is investing in this because there's huge growth opportunities because women's sport is, has been, let's not say held back, but it hasn't been given its due opportunity over the last few decades. And now it's coming. And the AFL's, AFLW Aussie rules is at the forefront of that. Um, and I've seen women's sport in the UK. I worked across some Premier League academies there. The soccer academies for girls over there aren't doing as well at what we do in development for our AFL girls and development girls back here. So, we have a very great opportunity to poach some of the world's best talent and that will be good financially and for marketing and whatnot for, for the game in its entirety, men and women. Can I ask, can I ask you guys at the Cobras, do you have a women's team? Uh, it's um, high on our priority to start one. Yeah, we've, we've, it was uh, meant to be something that we were going to work on to get started in 2020 and then when COVID started making waves in early start of the year, it was like, all right, let's just hold off on that and then... We've actually put out expressive interest for get it started in 2021. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something we are trying to get off the ground. We've got some good people on the ground level in charge trying to get that off the get that going. So it's good. Because what we what we see is um, clubs that do have a mix in Europe, particularly you know, and I said it's closer than here, but I, I do know my old club here um, has a women's team now that's doing really well. Um, but training together, um, that sort of camaraderie and the support that's gained around the club, it makes a more successful club. It's just simple. It's, it is a better and more successful club for the men's team and for the women's team that started up. And so I highly recommend. It's good to hear that you're onto it. Yeah, well, it's something like Dan mentioned. It's when you look at the bigger picture of things, like we're, we're down to one men's team. You know, the height of our powers when, when we were at the club a few years ago, we had over 100 registered players. We're now down to you know, just over 30 registered players. Mm-hmm. And um, we always get asked, well, what are you doing to get back to two men's teams and back to divisional football? And we sort of say, well, we've got an opportunity now to, to think sideways, to think outside the box. Let's get a women's team off the ground. Let's look elsewhere and build other things up. So our club may never return to two men's teams, but we could have a men's team playing and a women's team playing and and like you said hopefully we could both be successful and and um you know we're we're learning like we said from all these clubs all around the world that you know they they can have 15 women training and 10 men training some nights because the women are just so passionate about it and and it does uh, breeds a successful um culture around the club and so that's somewhere 
we're taking lessons from all the clubs that we're speaking to and hopefully we're, we can implement those things to our club and, and the people around us and, and something, some will rub off on others. Others are a little bit harder to convince, but we're working on it. So in Europe, there's, we've heard of a lot of tournaments that is run. What tournaments do you guys either run or help run? Yeah, we, we run, we have a pretty full calendar in the year at AFL Europe. So each, each of the countries runs their own league or, or most of them run their own league. We're separate to that. We run uh, Europe-wide events. So we run a Champions League, which is the winning team from each uh, country. So similar to sort of a soccer Champions League. Um, Aussies can play in that. So that's the sort of difference around Champions League, 18 aside. Um, we have held it for the last number of years in Amsterdam. Um, it's, it's a really cool, really cool event. Uh, we host an Anzac Cup, which is the Aussies with uh, some sort of connection to the, to the wars, to the armed forces, playing you know, in, in northern France on, you know, on the battlefields of the Somme at a famous uh, town called Villa Bretonneur. And I could go on and on about that, but I'll, I'll leave that for now. It's an awesome, awesome experience. Um, we host a European Championships, which is another 18 aside. That's really our um, event for um, people from, from their country, so no Aussies, helping to build them up for an international cup, which is 18 aside. And then I'd say our flagship event each year is a Euro Cup. So we change cities around, uh, around Europe, have about 500 players there um, each year. And it's nine aside, so it makes it more accessible for um, those from countries that don't have a huge playing group and also played on rectangular uh, sort of soccer pitch uh, sized fields, which can give, uh, mean that there's more venues we can host that. And so the last few years we've been in places like Cork in Ireland, um, Bordeaux in France, I, I spoke about Nortalia in Northern Sweden, um, where else? Lisbon in Portugal, uh, Umag in Croatia. So it's, you know, it's been one of the most fun parts for me and Jacko too, living over there and having a, a reason to travel to these places and watch footy. And, you know, you've got 500 people speaking, you know, whatever it is, 20, 30 different languages and, you know, yelling out ball. One group's yelling out ball in French and the other group's yelling out holding the man in, uh, in Russian. And we're sitting there just smiling in the middle of all of it. Yeah, it's, uh, there's some... All the all reports we've heard from everyone, they love getting to those Euro Cups and Champions League tournaments and stuff. And um, when we first, one of the first things that was mentioned to us was about going to Amsterdam for a few games of footy. And, and we said, oh, we can't tell anyone at our club that this goes on because we're going to have half our club wanting to get over to Amsterdam every year and we're going to lose half our players to, to go play in Europe somewhere. Come across, pick a, pick a city, pick a country. We'll get a game for you. Uh, you just tell us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I think we need some more sponsors for the show. Yeah. Before Every time they mention um, <laughs> the Champions League, Rifty gets annoyed because you just can see me just slowly itching closer and closer to going to it, being Amsterdam. And um, Question for you, Dan, on that one. Have the Fighting Squids asked for an invitation to that one in being in, being in Amsterdam? <laughs> no, it's exclusive to uh, the European side. They could probably get their boats over. Um, the US, they run that. They tend to have their national tournament. I've been to one in, in Austin. It's kind of a similar vibe, but I, uh, the European one just adds levels because it's exactly like Ollie said, the language, but also culturally, they're also different too. So when they get together, it's just this amazing energy of different national songs and, and, and dress and theme and all whatnot. 
yeah, every club that we've spoken to so far have raved about all the tournaments that go on in Europe. So credit to you guys for running them so successfully. You mentioned about the different languages and cultures in, in Europe. Does that make it difficult at times? It's generally the people that we have on the ground, as Ollie said before, three of our commissioners sort of run the different regions. And if they're not either part Australian or Australian, they're, they're fluent English speakers. So sort of administratively, um, they become that, they sit at the bottleneck to, to I guess, translate literally um, that what comes up from us and down to them and vice versa. On the ground, they tend to operate in their local language. And a lot of the Aussies over there have adopted whatever language that they're um, speaking so the germans Aussies in germany are generally living there it's a great way for them to practice their language and and vice versa um one of the challenges has been some of the uh, digital coaching material so ryan does a lot of work in trying to get some of that coaching resource of mostly video based um translated so that coaches can have a database of stuff that's accessible to their players who don't happen to speak english and in particular australian english as we which we all know is pretty tough to understand um so, yeah, there are challenges, but there's, there's certainly there's nothing there that's stopped anything along the way. It's just, it's just an, an extra uh, layer of, of interesting work. Yeah, I can imagine it could be difficult at times, but it's good to hear that you've got a, you know, a good system in place to accommodate for all that. Uh, so, obviously, recording this at the moment, we're stuck in still COVID times. How have AFL Europe navigated their way through this COVID period? Um, uh, yeah, interesting question. Obviously, the elephant in the room. Uh, it's been incredibly difficult, is the simple answer. Um, I think, you know, for any sporting organisation around the world, uh, it's not a great time. Um, I think, you know, we've sadly been forced to cancel our events this year, but even more sadly, it's probably the personnel side of things. So we've had to let um, some of our staff go which is really not easy. The, the last three or four years have been just phenomenal um, from a staffing perspective, a small but really dedicated team that have made a huge change on the ground and really you know, should be proud of what they've, what they've done. And everything you hear from, uh, from the clubs that you speak to comes down to the guys on the ground there that are doing the day-to-day work. Um, and so really sad that we've had to make changes there. Um, you know, we've had to sort of make changes to budgets and, and to plans. You know, you take, uh, take Euro Cup, for example. Our plan, and you know, we've been working really strongly towards a strategy of making that as cheap or free um, you know, as we could do for the teams that are coming. You know, we, just, we just want more people playing footy across Europe. Um, this doesn't mean we won't do that. It just means that the timing of that does get pushed back a little bit. Um, the one thing I will say is... You know, I've got so much confidence in the strength of our community playing footy across Europe that will bounce back from this. So you look at the things that are going on now and the opportunities that have been created digitally. You know, as Dan says, we're doing coaching courses, umpiring courses. We're building that base as much as we ever have. Um, We've started a, a fun sort of competition called Race to the G. So while the teams are not playing, uh, giving them an opportunity to stay fit but also stay competitive, um, so uh, collating the amount of kilometres each, each uh, country, country's players run with the aim to get to the 16,900 kilometres from London to the MCG. Uh, I think Scotland's winning both of those now. So, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, Wales, I think. Uh, uh, yes, Swansea. Yes. Yeah, Swansea. Wales. Swansea uh, Magpies. 
he was uh, right across that and he was putting in some good Ks himself in uh, making sure he gets to the G. Um, and it's, it's something that we've uh, admired from all the people that we've spoken to is how much they've just taken the lockdowns and everything in their stride and, and going, well, how can we uh, make things better at our club for the people? And we had a great chat with a couple of the girls from the GB Swans who, um, you know, they've been doing weekly catch-ups on Zoom with uh, you know, girls that they don't even get spe- get to train with normally for, before an international cup because they, they live in all separate countries. So they've actually gone, well, this has actually been a great thing for us because we're now getting to spend time with each other on these chats and learning more about the game and learning more about each other. And um, it's been a common trend with all these um, digital challenges and things. And you've got France competing with uh, digital footy with teams over in Canada. And um, it's sort of, brought in a, a tighter community I think and um, we've learnt how tight-knit the actual Europe community is within all the clubs and one of the clubs that we, we spoke to early on was the Ryland Lions and um, some of the clubs in Germany were doing a fantastic thing for one of the girls that tragically passed away earlier this year in a, in a um, car accident and we were blown away by something you know the fact that they were using Aussie rules to help commemorate the loss of this uh the loss of janine um and and using that to sort of forever immortalize her memory uh, within the footy community there and the um don't drink and drive go pink for life uh program that they've started and that that sort of initiative is uh fantastic and we're going to make sure that we're going to keep continue to support that uh whenever it comes up and and you know, it was supposed to be that round last last weekend just gone that they were supposed to play that game. Um, but yeah, we've we've learnt so much from these little communities, and and uh, if we had the money, we'd be uh, we'd be flying over there as soon as flights open up to go see all these people because it's it's we're in awe of how much um, what AFL Europe's built over there, and it's it's uh, yeah, we just we just get blown away all the time by how much these clubs mean to people over there. Uh, oh, guys, I mean, you, you're right. It, 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 it's cost prohibitive to bring a club across. I, I was sort of cheeky before saying come across and play <laughs> anyone. But what you guys are doing here um, and spotlighting these stories and these clubs is just phenomenal, right? You imagine um, what it means to, you know, the Rhineland Lions who are training on a cold night in Germany and playing this foreign game to then be on a, you know, on a podcast and someone on the other side of the world caring, it's, it's just amazing. And so keep doing what you're doing in this way. And yeah, if you ever, if you ever do get across, uh, there will be so many people there, you know, willing to, willing to get you down to training and, and waiting there with a few cold beers for you uh, when training finishes. Yeah. Well, that's when you mentioned a few cold beers, that dog's eyes light up. Um, but something, I, was, I, I was going to say, if you can do the training, I'll just have the beers. Yeah. <laughs> We have, we have offered uh, at dog services to help recruit players and that all they have to do is cover his beer costs and uh, he'll uh, hit up all the local bars all around Europe and, and help recruit players for him. The Germans will show you how to drink, won't they? Uh, we've, we've had many offers from the Germans <laughs> with their leader beers and stuff. Um, but something we'd be remiss in not uh, mentioning is Dan was the recipient of the Jim Steins Award for work he did with uh, mental health and um so how was 
you know, Jim Steins was such a huge figure for international success in, in Aussie rules game. And um, is that something that gets brought up and mentioned a bit when, when you are yeah, in Europe and especially the Irish countries that, you know, you've uh, received that such a prestigious honour in, in the work you did with mental health? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the Irish get a little bit, um, they get a little bit sensitive at times because we keep poaching their best players. But there's clear, there's Anoli back me up on this. There's a clear pride that some of their top talent gets to come and play against um, and with the top sport in in Australia. Um, so they won't readily offer that up. But whenever you talk to them, they were always aware. You know, they tell you about watching Take and Ellie, and they'll talk about oh, Jim Staines, and and they'll have these different stories about watching them as 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 kids. And I know all the current ones as well. And with AFLW now, it's amazing that you know women and men over there who are Gaelic fans will will be quickly tuned into how their how their locals are going um, down under. So. Yeah, I mean, he left a la- lasting legacy. Unfortunately, being the recipient recipient of the award didn't enable me to um, get to know him because he'd passed at that point. I, my only contact with him was when he ran a clinic and I was a little kid and I, I, I was a West Coast supporter. Who knows why? But my old man was a Melbourne supporter. So I did have a bit of a soft spot. So I you know, remember looking up and thinking, oh, this is one of my heroes. Um, but more importantly, what he was able to achieve um, off the field. And... There's a lot of good work that gets done by players outside of the game in a range of different um, areas. But mental health is obviously a really important one at the moment, in particular in 2020. But there's guys working on Indigenous rights and women's rights and domestic violence and environmental things. And it, yeah, it, often it doesn't get um, spotlighted, but the the award has enabled exactly that. And because and none of the guys that do this stuff do it for recognition, but I think it's really important because it just sets a great example. And I mean, we look. You look at the Herald Sun every day, and, and you just everyone wants to. All the media tend to put out the negative stories, but there are a lot of positive ones out there. So that's, I think, that's probably the fact that it's tied to an international or an ex-international player's name is just a just really elevates the prestige of it. I think what you, I'll I'll add to this because you're probably a bit humble, uh, Jacko, but I think from a you know recipient standpoint there's no one more deserving and i've seen you do things um you probably don't even notice that i notice but um you've got one of the strongest moral compasses of anyone i know and um what what jacko does that you know i think we should all aspire to is he'll put his hand up in any environment if something's not right and he'll call people out on it straight away and you know for mine i think that's one of the you know marks of you as a as a man and and what you do well um and so yeah I think it's been a really, it's been a huge help for us in Europe and, and guiding the direction that we take on, on certain topics. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I think you, you are being very humble. Um, and it is one of those awards that um, a lot of hard work would go into, you know, to, to even be considered for that, that award. And, and like you said, you're doing that work just because that's something you believe in and, and want to do and all the guys throughout the AFL and other recipients of the award that have done fantastic work. And it's something we are as football lovers and, and, you know, we might not have cheered you on when you're playing the game because we're, we're not Richmond supporters, but uh, we can definitely admire the stuff you've done um, off the, off the footy oval. And uh, we did just have a recent episode go up with uh, an Irish lad, uh, uh, Owen O'Sullivan. And he was, um, more than happy to see Irish lads running around and he, but he did mention 
you get a you get a few guys that uh, turn their noses up at these guys going to chase Aussie dollars, but um, it's it's hard to to imagine if you're an Irish man growing up and you've got the capabilities to play Aussie rules, why you wouldn't want to do it uh, when you <laughs> you got to work just as bloody hard to play the Irish game and and get no financial benefit from it. So it's um, but it's good to see guys like Ty Canelli go back and pay back to their um, their county and then help them win championships and stuff over there. And I'm, I'm sure that's helped uh, attract even more players that the fact that he did something like that. So do you guys have many people reaching out to you about for advice about starting up new clubs around Europe? A little bit. Um, we are always open to that conversation. Uh, I would say... If anyone's thinking about it, anyone sees this and thinking about it, our sole purpose is to help you get through that process. So whether it be, you know, advice or, you know, when we can grants for, um, you know, posts or balls or, um, you know, the giant, take, the, take the GWS Giants, for example. They've been incredibly supportive of new clubs um, around the world. Um, and encourage clubs to take the name the Giants. So I'm sure you've met a few, you know, a few giants clubs around and they'll share kit. They'll share um, some, you know, training kit um, with new teams to help them get started. So yeah, I'd say we do, we do from time to time, but I, I'm always, always happy to get that, uh, that email in the inbox. And the other thing we've been working on Ollie as well for you guys is we've, there's been a number of AFL players that have gone over and um, not so much helped out, but as they've been traveling around, have gone and visited and run training sessions. I mean, one of the most high-profile ones was Nick Natanui. He spent a lot of time with the with the team in Tel, Tel Aviv. Um, so I think he was a week there in Israel. And just he absolutely just raved about his experience there, getting to not just play footy with in a foreign land, but to get that cultural experience. And we've had a number of other players, uh, men and women, do similar things. And similarly, vice versa, there's a number of clubs that have sent players over to Australia to get experience um, in different local leagues and amateur leagues, which again, just it's, it enriches the, um, the European leagues because then they come back with this wealth of knowledge around what training standards are like and different training ideas and that club mentality. So that's certainly something we're always looking to go back and forth on take. And there might be people who are playing in the VFL or SANFL that are thinking they're going to spend their off season overseas that might want to drop in and, and, and meet some people. Well, we always encourage them reaching out because if we can get an SANFL player to go take the Paris Cockerels for a training session and then he gets to go have beers with the Parisians afterwards, then that's, that's a win-win both ways. Um, so that's sort of another initiative that we try and put ourselves in the middle of. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the Tel Aviv Cheetahs. We're actually currently trying to get them onto the show there's been a few barriers just emails my email is going to junk folders without people realizing as i said to you yesterday ollie in text message we were sitting here waiting on a Saturday night for i think it was the galway magpies to jump on and they just never rocked up so i sent a message to him I was like oh i never got an email and it ended up in his junk mail so i'm like i better just double check with uh, ollie that he didn't miss this one leave the um cheaters with me I'll, I'll connect you up with them oh awesome thanks mate so you mentioned how many clubs you've got in AFL Europe before and here, here me and Rifty thought we're doing pretty well with how many clubs we've uh, interviewed and then we've interviewed so we've had 22 different European interviews from 12 countries and I thought we're doing pretty good but then when you tell me how many teams you actually have in AFL Europe and we've got a long way to go Rift. Yeah mate we're going to be a fair few more Saturday nights um, spent <laughs> interviewing clubs to get all 100 and, uh, 139 was it? 
149. Sorry. 149, geez. All right. Hopefully by the time you've done them, we've got a few more on too. Yeah. Well, we, we, we spoke well, to um, one of the boys from AFL Poland. It's, they're just getting started and we're going to hopefully send over some jumpers for them. So we'll have, hopefully we're going to have a Cobras running around in Poland soon. So oh, awesome. Be, uh, Love and, it. And when you mentioned GWS, uh, we've spoke to a, a couple of different clubs um, from we spoke to ones in America that are taking on the Giants and, uh, and a couple in Europe that have taken on them. That's, it's fantastic that um, clubs are, are still doing that. We know we spoke to Denver Bulldogs early on and they got some kits sent over from, from the Bulldogs back in the, the early 90s and, and they were the old woolen jumpers that I don't think they'd been washed before they uh, got sent over. And But it's uh, it's great that clubs are still being involved. In, in well, West Coast, for example, Rifty. Yeah, West Coast is another one that's been involved heavily with sending kits over and getting teams, helping teams get started. And um, yeah, it's great that AFL clubs are doing that. And GWS is what the one that's been really pushing it. Oh, you know, I guess when you're a new club starting out, you've got to try and get your fans from everywhere. So it's there's plenty of people now running around in a Giants jumper going, oh, well, I go for GWS all around the world. So, so I'd recommend to anyone who's thinking of starting a club. Um, to reach out to both the governing organisations. So if it's in Europe, reach out to us. If it's in the States, to um, AFL USA. Um, you know, reach out and then also to, to clubs. They, they want to help. They want to, uh, they want to expand their reach internationally. We've seen, you know, Port Adelaide in, in China. We've seen Essendon into um, India. Yeah, there's a number of different sort of things on foot. Reach out and try. If you don't ask, you don't get... One thing I've noticed this weekend, because obviously by, I'm the one that try and hooks up all the interviews, I follow and like quite a lot of uh, clubs now on Facebook. And in recording this this weekend, a new club in Germany has just popped up. Um, I can't think of their name. But all the German clubs that are involved in that league are sharing and promoting them because they want them in their league for their league to have more clubs, which is good to see. Mm-hmm. The Kiel Koalas, I think it might have been. Kiel, yeah. I I'm I'm not yeah, you need someone to play against, and and you know it also the more playing it strengthens the German national team too to give more opportunities for games, um, which gives them a better chance. And they're I mean they're developing so well in Germany, both men's and women's teams. Um, so good shots, good shots coming into international cup when we next uh, next run it. Uh, and we're we're as soon as flights are available, we're booking flights up to the Sunshine Coast for International Cup because we're, we're West Beyond, we've missed out on it the last few few times or we've spoke to many clubs that just have an absolute blast and one of the great conversations we had with is uh, one of the guys that runs uh, AFL South Africa and him bringing boys over for a, for an International Cup and they half of them didn't even know what they were actually going to be playing. They thought they were playing, some thought they were playing rugby, some thought they were playing soccer. And it wasn't until they started watching the game before them, they go, oh, shit, we're about to play that game. They're crazy. So, <laughs> I know the Europe's, uh, Europeans have a lot more uh, experience in the game before heading over for an international cup. But, um, well, yeah. that's the other thing. Can I just say on that, um, you know, for those clubs to come out to Australia is a huge commitment. You know, these are, these are non-professional, you know, they're not professional. They're paying out of their own pocket. Um, often taking time off work or study. And so if anyone you know, does see and, and feel 
you know, some sort of inspiration by what they're doing by any country in particular, get behind them. You know, whether it's, you know, helping them with a meal while they're here, helping them find accommodation, whatever it is, every little bit helps for these clubs um, around every event. So just getting to a Euro Cup, you know, the Croatians will drive in a bus for, you know, 24 hours to get to the other side of the continent so they're not paying for flights. Like, you know, the sacrifice that's made just to play a game of footy by these people, and you mentioned it earlier, Rifty, I think, um, you know, we go 20 minutes down the road and have a whinge that it's too far away. Like, yeah, there's guys in Israel, uh, Palestinian guys who are crossing borders and waiting at the border for three hours just to get to training. Like, that's, that's real passion for the game. And so anything you can do to help them is, is incredible. Yeah, that's what I, I keep saying. We're, we're in awe. We admire all, all the people that are involved in this, uh, in AFL Europe and playing it with just such passion. And, like, we get blokes that are whinging because we couldn't get into the bar on our first night back at training. We're like, hey, you got clubs that don't even have a club room. So, they're, you know, they're kicking the ball in a park. And if somebody's decided to sunbake in the middle of the park, well, they've got to kick around them. Um, <laughs> And, you know, we've got a perfect oval that we get to train on when we can. And sometimes we might not get in our rooms. Big deal. Yep. So, um, but how much, uh, how hard is it to get the sort of sponsorships and partners for AFL to help out these clubs for AFL Europe? Yeah, it's, it's not easy. Sponsorship in any space is not easy. Um, you know, we, we're very lucky to both have... Um, support from the AFL, um, but the AFL brand behind us. Um, and we have some really loyal and fantastic sponsors. And if you sort of will indulge me to call out a few of them, um, we have some big, big name brands that you guys will know back in Australia, but Telstra, NAB, um, Money Corp, Fine Wine Partners, we've got O'Neill's, PSS Removals, ANZ UK, Belushi's, goes on Top Deck, Lucidica. So we've got some really great sponsors. It's never enough. We're desperate. You know, we run on the smell of an oily rag and we're desperate for more. Um, and, you know, we think we can provide real value to these, to these partners. And, you know, we see them as, as really strong partners to AFL Europe and, and to the growth of the game. You know, what they put in goes every single dollar into growing the game. We're not, not at all about making a profit. We certainly don't uh, end the year with a burgeoning bank account. I'll tell you that much. We're, scra we're scraping through and every cent we get together um, does things like taking the, the fees for a Euro Cup down so that, you know, a team from Croatia can come across and play. Yeah, no, you, I was just sitting there thinking about, you know, you said before that you guys are volunteers. Um, so it definitely shows that every cent does go towards that. You know, you guys aren't paying yourselves, you know, a hefty wage like some people would probably maybe assume or think. So... Uh, it's good that you've got plenty of sponsors and I did say that you've just renewed your partnership with O'Neill's. Is that correct? Yep. I think. Yep. Yeah. We did. So I'm all across this rifty, mate. You've got to go. Yeah, across well. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to hit up O'Neill's and get the partnership ourselves. I think cause we've, we've shouted them out a fair few times <laughs> with a lot of the clubs we're interviewing and we'll definitely make sure we share all any partners you want to be shared when we do post this up. And if any of them want to help out a little club in the Southeast, uh, <laughs> It's got a global and trending podcast, so we're happy to work something out too. What do we call it? Rifty, the most popular podcast hosted by two people called Ricky from Sandia. Yeah. Um, all right. So, 
Dan, we know that you played at AFL level, so I'll ask you this and Ollie as well. So how long did you guys play footy for? Uh, well, I was 11 years of, uh, at Richmond in the AFL and then, like most kids, played Vic Kick was it was back then when we were when we were younger, Ollie. So, yeah, Oz Kick uh, and local footy in the suburbs. I was a Flanaris Gladiator and a Q Comet for a period of time too. So, yeah, I mean, played a bunch of other sports, but 11 years in, in, in the AFL. Uh, I wasn't quite club best and fairest level like uh, like Dan was back in there. Uh, I played I played uh, north of 100 games for a club in the Victorian Amateur League in the VAFA, a uh, club called Collegians. Um, never never at a good level and uh, probably realised a long time ago I was, I was a better administrator than, uh, than player. Although, boy, I had a lot of fun. Like, you know, I reckon my best years were just towards the, the back end of that playing clubbies and when I was too busy with work and... Uh, just enjoying footy. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's always good when you enjoy the footy. That's what keeps keep, yeah, keeps people around for so long. Uh, so what position did you guys play? Uh, I actually grew up, well, I got drafted as a sort of centre-half back, key back, but wasn't big enough in the AFL to do that. So I sort of played half-back for a while, but couldn't kick to save myself. And the game went to being um, half-backs where, you know, you rebounders with great foot skills and decision-making. So I quickly got forced out of there. Um, but I had my strength was my running and, and physical sort of size. I was um, six foot two and ninety plus kilos and could and won most of our time trials. So I became a tagger and then eventually earned my own right to be a, a midfielder myself. So the back half, well, I guess the you know, the second half of my career was was running around the midfield. Ollie, I picture you as an outside player, maybe outside wing, half forward flank. Mate, they hid me down in a back pocket. <laughs> Sometimes I was lucky I'd get up to the flank, but uh, yeah, with my skills, it was more back pocket. Just niggle, niggle all day and, uh, and get out of there. Yeah, that's all right. There's, that's the good thing about footy. There's a position for everyone. There's, everyone could fit in somewhere. And Ed Dog sits himself up forward, just says, kick it to me and get out of my way and uses anyone that goes near his, his space. And, yep. no, and I just run around wherever I'm told to go. So... Uh, what what number did you wear in your playing days? Oh, I spent my whole time at the Tigers in 23. A random side story too. Um, because of all the COVID um, restrictions and protocols, we've got to spend a lot of our training has to be done in small groups. And it can be really hard to sort of like, you wouldn't believe the, the layers of protocols we've got to deal with just to run a training session and coaches standing on the other side of fences and players only set my players on the ground at some time and not touching the same colored balls and it goes on and on but at least we can play which is great but um, I found myself a few times having to jump in to fill numbers when a guy goes down at training so I've um, I've been up there in the Gold Coast with the boots on testing out the hamstrings and at 34 I'm thinking of making a comeback not to AFL level definitely not but um, maybe running around sometime I don't know if I'll be able to do it this year because we're not even allowed to go for lunch at a cafe but if I can keep the hamstrings together for 12 more months maybe next year one of the um, the amateur equivalent teams in Adelaide, I might have to go get a kick or two. Which Jeez, won't go well. you, you ran a marathon last year in what, 240, 250? 255. But not the same thing as sprinting and kicking and tackling. Running a marathon, nowhere near oh, as physical. It shows some pretty good core fitness uh, still remains there. All right. <clears throat> Did you just hear that, Rifty? What Dan just said? Yeah, I heard it all. Yeah. yeah. That part where he says, Running a marathon is nowhere near as demanding as kicking, running, and tackling. Can you just cut that out for me? I might want to send it to my sister just so she's aware that me playing footy 
is more demanding <laughs> than her running half marathons and marathons. <laughs> uh, it depends the level that you're running, uh, tackling and kicking and also running marathons, I yeah. should just say. <laughs> I think Dan's I'm, taking co- it out. I'm taking it out of context. I think, <laughs> I think Dan covered a fair few more Ks in, his, in, a, in a game of Aussie rules than what you're covering, mate. So. <laughs> I reckon you'd probably covered more Ks in a half Aussie rules than what I've covered in my whole career. <laughs> Yes. Well, when you've only led from the square to the 50 and you've got to the 50, then abused the bloke because he kicked it over your head and then gone back to the goal Richo square. Richo mold, is it? <laughs> uh, not, quite, not quite as bad. Well, he does have a bit of Richo about him, actually. Yeah, but he'd hate to, he's never going to admit that because he's a bomber's man. So, yeah. oh, no, no, oh. I've, got, I've got a bit of Richo. I mean, that year I spent up in the wing, mate. Bit, bit of Richo in me. <laughs> the year. Yeah. The one the one play. No, I spent a year up in the wing, thanks, mate. <laughs> the slowest wingman you've ever seen in your life. But what was that sorry, Ollie? You're a bombers man. I am, yes. Smart man. Yeah, very smart. How good was the weekend? Oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? It was uh my not, as, ten, ten not as good in... as the weekend before. <laughs> oh, don't start that. <laughs> yeah, ten minutes into the game I was sitting there going, Yeah, this is gonna be a very long night and then Half hour later, I was like, oh, this is a, it's a great game of footy, this. Yeah. All right, so we know you go for it. And, and Dan, you were a West Coast supporter as a kid. Is... Yeah, no idea why. My old man got the, um, the Atlas out and showed me where Melbourne was and where Perth was and said I wouldn't be able to go to home games. I didn't care. I was about three or four and I liked the colours, apparently. Um, so, yeah, got bullied at school for being a West Coast supporter and a redhead and then got drafted to Richmond at 17 and quickly made the jump. Um, fortunately. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you. Sorry, I forgot that we just we just found out who Ollie <laughs> supported. My bad. Um, so, who's your favourite player of all time? Ooh, Ollie, I might start with you. I'll have to have to think. I got I got two. I, I mean, as a kid, Hurdy was always my favourite as a bomber supporter. Um, off script a little. I've loved Luke Hodge over the last sort of fifteen years. Just adore the way he goes about it. And so I'd probably say Hodgie, which is a weird one for a, for a Bombers supporter to say. Is that because well, he plays, you know, a bit of a back pocket role so you can see yourself as a bit of a Hodgie? <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> I wish. I, um, growing up as a West Coast supporter, and I probably quite reminiscent of how I ended up playing myself, but I was a big Glenn Jakovic fan. And I guess I just adopted the going around Belton Blokes thing because my tribunal record, I think, was probably worse than his. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's for a bygone era. <laughs> Who was your favourite player you played with? That's yeah, cool. I was going to say, I mean, I've always admired the guys that not people may not have heard of. I mean, they were heard of, but not they're certainly not the poster boys. Like my favourite teammate um, from his story was Nathan Foley. He was rookied when I was drafted in 2003. He was told he was too short, too slow, couldn't kick, not strong enough. Um, but his work ethic each year to go from rookie list to be re-rookied and then, you know, he got bigger and stronger because he's just the, in the gym every single day. And then when everyone else went overseas on holidays at the end of the season, he got a running coach and was doing track, track and field work, came back, so he was a bit faster. And every year he just knocked the door down and ended up playing, 100, I think the same as me, 150 odd games. Um, came runner up in a best in Ferris, and there won't be too many 41s on the back um, of Richmond players, of Richmond fans jumpers but they're the kinds of guys that I have the most respect for I mean talented guys who are going to have great careers work really hard too but there are certain guys in there that just literally give everything possible um, to play the games he was you know, probably the guy I've, I've respected the most 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great that um, it's not just, you know, the standard or richer or whoever. They've, they've got enough time in the spotlight. And it's something that, I know, as, as guys that were probably never, ever capable of making it to the top level, you sort of look at Aussie Rules players as, you know, they're just naturally gifted to, to make it to the top level. But to know that the guy who was always told he wasn't going to make it, he put in such hard work to to continue his dream of playing AFL and, and made a pretty uh, successful career out of it is, is fantastic. And um, when we've asked, as one of our favourite things, asking all these different people around Europe is, you know, who their favourite Aussie rules player is. And it's it's been funny to us when Gary Ablett Senior comes up so often that, you know, there's people that hadn't even heard of football until 20 years after he retired, but he's still comes up all the time as like oh he's he's my favorite i just watch all these clips on youtube and stuff and then uh, uh it's yeah it's, it's always funny when we hear somebody you know like gary ablett get brought up again from somebody who's uh you know new to the game so before we wrap it up once covid gets passed and we're all back to normal what are the plans moving forward for afl europe yeah look we'll go back i mean we've got core strategies that we'll, we'll go back to and, and you know we're, we're looking at even now and I mentioned before probably three pillars that we're focusing on at the moment are numbers playing so you know 9,000 people playing footy across Europe is awesome it's not enough we want more um, numbers watching so I don't know if you guys have heard of watch AFL um, you know digital digital pass great service we want to increase the amount of people that are just watching footy and whether that's through Watch AFL or, or through TV distribution uh, in their countries. Uh, and then finally, it's elite talent. So 35 on list for men and women is awesome. The fact that they're only Irish is not. Um, you know, we should be, the talent is out there. It's a matter of investing in that talent and finding it, sourcing it, and then, uh, and then nurturing that talent back to the AFL uh, and AFLW systems. So numbers playing, numbers watching, elite talent, probably the three things that will continue focusing on and and generally like we'll do anything to get a footy into two people's hands and kick to kick in a park throughout Europe like that's that's what we're about it's it's you know basic it's not it's not commercialized like it is in Australia it's um it's grassroots sport at its real essence yeah well I have to mention we spoke to a club uh just a couple of days ago and he was complaining a bit about the price of Watch AFL. They put the price up. So if you know anyone that uh, you can speak to, just let them know they're not too happy with the price jump <laughs> over there. And he's, especially when he's got, he goes to log into his account and two other blokes are already watching it. So he can't even watch his game. <laughs> you know what we should do, Ollie? We should set up some sort of uh, system where if, if an Aussie person wants to buy a, a, a footy or something for a player for a team over in a, a country that they like the sound of, that they can have a reciprocal, I'll owe you a couple of beers or steins in the German case if you want to come visit one day. Imagine that you send a footy off to Ryland in, or someone in Berlin and as a consequence, if you go on a holiday to Berlin, they take you out in the town for the night. I mean, because something like a footy for them is, is absolute gold. They, they're hard to come by. You know, they're st- we'd, they're still paying 100 bucks Aussie for them, as well as also paying for their fees and stuff. And you just can't buy the experiences that you have when you go and visit the different players in different countries. So maybe we'll have to table that for our next meeting. Like it. Like it a lot. Yeah, it's coming up with good ideas on the spot. That's, that's, a, that's a good one. And mate, when we've had uh, people say that 
they resorted to buying Burleys because they couldn't get any Sharon's and they lasted five minutes out in the wet. And yeah, they, uh, they do cherish one of the blokes we spoke to. He was absolutely shattered because he just received his brand new Sharon and then everything got shut down. So he hasn't even been able to kick it yet. So but just, uh, just think about that for a second, Rifty. Like that's a European guy who's fallen in love with some kangaroo hide, you know, a Sharon, um, which is the quintessential Aussie thing, you know, and, and is desperately wanting to get outside and kick that. Like that's, that's what gives me inspiration and, and why, you know, I've been involved in this for a number of years and give time and energy to it because that's just awesome. That's, that's, that's the essence of what we do. Wasn't there yeah. two people, Ricky? Yeah, there's been, it's a couple of times it's yeah. come up. Uh, um, West Lothian and the one of the guy, uh, the guy we spoke to from AFL England. Yes, and he was uh, grew up a, a nerd, basically a self-professed nerd. He works in the poker industry, uh, um, writing articles about poker, and he's fallen in love with Aussie rules. And he, he admits he's not much of a player himself, but he's helping uh, where he can. And he he had to make his old man go have a kick with him because they finally were allowed to get out and do exercise, but they had to do it with somebody. They could only do it with somebody in the house. So he's had to, he had to make his old man go have a kick with him because that's the only person he could, <laughs> he could get out there and have a kick with. That's the beauty of a ball. You need two people. So it always gets, uh, gets one more person playing footy, every ball we have. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, and that's been a, a common thing as well. Guys are seen somebody kicking this odd shaped ball around they go what the hell that's not a rugby ball what the hell is that and um the amount of times people have said they've gone to throw it back to them like it's a gridiron ball or whatever and they're like no no you kick it and and then they get them down to a, a function or a grand final party over somewhere in europe and next thing you know they've been playing footy for 10 years over in europe and um yeah it's great what you guys are doing and and we wish you all the best with everything going forward hopefully COVID uh, hasn't put too much of a, a step back for the AFL Europe and you're able to get things moving forward and, and get some more stuff back on when you can and then International Cup 2021 can go ahead because yeah. selfishly we just want to get up there and go to that. So, um, well, thank you there, guys. It'd be nice to, uh, nice to meet you properly there. Yeah, no, yeah, we can't wait. And Yeah, so thanks heaps for joining us. Um, all the best with everything. Uh, best of luck with uh, hub life and stuff over in Adelaide and back and forth through Gold Coast for you, Dan. And, um, yeah, best luck with everything else. AFL Europe with you, Ollie. And um, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, guys. Can thanks, I just guys. say, for anyone who, who wants to contact us, um, jump on the website, afleurope.org. Um, and there's a contact function there. Get in touch any way you want to be involved, even if you just want to, chat footy and you know as dan says if you want to give a footy to someone and have a few beers with them when you get over there go nuts like get in touch it'll be great yeah awesome. and, right. thanks for what you're doing uh, both of you guys like this is shining a light on international footy and uh you know we we have huge uh, appreciation for that so thanks guys yeah uh, thanks Steve, for joining us mate we appreciate it thanks guys yeah. great to chat thanks fellas <clears throat> yeah thanks for watching the cobra cast with the present vp and if you need somebody to talk to, why not contact New Life Psychology in Berwick? They are now taking phone appointments. Or you could head to otlr.com.au for tips and info. 
and we are supporters of TAC's Towards Zero campaign. Head to towardszero.vic.gov.au for more info because zero is the only acceptable number. Hey Siri, play the Cobra cast with the present VP.